This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show. Every morning, oh, while I'm reading my inbox, I receive a publication from Masterless, which is a morning political newsletter from State House News Service. And in this morning's publication, State House News Service reports this under the heading 46 Days Until Election Day. It reports that the Massachusetts Teachers Association is, quote, all in on question one, having put some more millions of dollars into the campaign to convince voters to back the 4% surtax on income, income, over $1 million to be used for education and transportation. The report from State House News from this political newsletter, daily political newsletter from State House News Service, says the union's latest contribution was reported by the Fair Share Massachusetts Committee in the latest campaign filing. The donation brings uh, the MTA's uh, total contribution to a substantial number of some millions of dollars. And there is a quote from MTA, Massachusetts Teachers Association President Max Page, who told Masterless this in a statement, the 115,000 members of the Massachusetts Teachers Association are all in on our support of Question 1 because we know it will make a real difference for our students every single year from now on. We have with us today Max Page. You heard his intro music, and he has with us a very special guest, uh, uh, Josh Ostroff. Josh Ostroff is the director, the interim director of uh, transportation for Massachusetts. And he is with us because question one devotes this money, this surcharge on 4%, only 4% on income, not assets, of over $4 million per year uh, to education and transportation. So Max Page, president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, and John Ostroff, Director, Interim Director of Transportation for Massachusetts. Welcome to you both. Let me turn the microphone over to you. Max Page. Thanks, Bill, and good morning. Thanks, Josh Ostroff, for being with us this morning. So um, just as a, so that listeners know that we're doing every week from now to Election Day um, on these Friday segments, we're going to be talking about different aspects of the fair share amendment as it is such an important um, ballot question. It's question one on the ballot on, on November 8th. And as Bill said, it's a simply a tax on income. And I think actually the article you referenced got it wrong. It's not a wealth tax, it's an income tax purely on yearly income over a million dollars. But what is um, different about this than, and I think better than previous um, efforts in Massachusetts to pass progressive taxes is this says it's only on the very wealthiest and the proceeds, which we estimate to be over $2 billion a year, has to go to K-12 schools, public colleges and universities, and the maintenance and repair of roads, bridges, and public transportation. So we thought we would start this week's the, the, the series of seven segments um, talking with Josh, Josh Ostroff, who's the interim director of T for Mass, which is Transporta Transportation for Massachusetts, about what a dedicated source of funds could do for transportation in Massachusetts. So Josh, maybe tell us first, what's, what is T for Mass? What have you been advocating in the past? And then we'll, we'll go on and link it directly to the fair share soon. 
Hello, good morning, Max, and thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you today. Um, I really appreciate uh, opportunities to speak to uh, your listeners in Western Mass and, and beyond. Um, so yes, uh, we have a statewide coalition with uh, funded by a foundation. Uh, we're a nonprofit. We have over 100 members and partners around the Commonwealth, uh, many in Western Massachusetts, the regional planning agencies, uh, Pioneer Valley Planning Commission, Franklin Regional Council on Governments, Berkshire Planning Commission, as well as many nonprofits like the Berkshire Community Action Council or Berkshire Interfaith Organizing, uh, Springfield Partners for Community Action, um, Trains in the Valley and Western Mass Rail Coalition. So we have a mission to better transportation throughout the Commonwealth. We see transportation as essential to public health to uh, our, you know, the health and well-being of our communities, to equity and assuring that we are able to have a more just way for people to get around. Um, it's critical for economic development. So for many reasons, transportation is an essential. It's not a uh, nice to have, it's a must have. And we can do so much better uh, in uh, you know, Massachusetts. So among the things that we've worked on over the years are more funding and uh, assured funding and better service for people who take regional transit, improving our roads and bridges, working on rail projects, uh, making sure that we have uh, projects like East-West Rail in the future or good service on the knowledge corridor um, and just making it easier for people to get around the state. The entire state is our mission and uh, really happy to be with you today and talk about Fair Share. Great. Thanks, Josh. So let's let's dive into each piece of that because what we really are hoping to, is people think of what's possible in both the areas of K-12, higher education, and transportation when we have kind of this dedicated funds from the Fair Share Amendment and, and other funds as well. So I'm just going to start um, on the public transportation side because I grew up in Amherst. I still live there. And as a kid, I remember even then, like the, the glory of having a free bus system. It could during the school year at least you could jump on the you know the PVTA the Pioneer Valley Transit Authority buses and go between all to parts of Amherst and Northampton back and forth between the colleges and so tell me what what your vision is for what trans, public transportation and we'll talk about roads and bridges in, in a second but what's the vision of T for Mass for public transportation in Massachusetts what should we be able to have as residents of this Commonwealth um, thanks for that question, Max. So public transportation should meet everybody's needs and it should be a way that people choose to get around. Frequently public transit is something that folks who can't afford a car, of whom there are many, um, you know, depend upon. But we want to make sure that public transit is not just a necessity, but a choice. So that the service is of such a high quality that people can use it to get wherever they need to go for work, for school, for errands, for social visits, for medical appointments. Um, and of course, public transit is changing. So I think you're on to something when we say, what can it be? Because I think we have settled in Massachusetts for substandard transportation choices. We need great choices. We need the future of transit to be fixed route as it is, but also providing options for people to get from place to place on demand you know, by reservation. And that's the future of public transit. In Franklin County, they're experimenting with that now. So we want to see more options. And of course, great service for people with disabilities who are frequently even more dependent on public transit um, than others. So we want to, um, we envision a public transit network 
that serves every community that makes it possible to get from one place to the other without the boundaries that separate different regions. So if you want to get from Pittsfield to Springfield in public transit, you actually have a way to do that. Um, or, you know, even the, the smaller hill towns and other rural communities around the state, they need uh, options and service as well. We just don't have that now because we have not been able to invest the resources in the service and in the equipment maintenance uh, that we need in order to achieve that. You also mentioned uh, a free bus, and that's super important to many people because public transit, as I mentioned earlier, it really does serve people without means. Um, I would say from our coalition's perspective, the quality of service is most important. We need to have night and weekend service available for folks who need it. But of course, we also want to um, make it affordable. So to the extent that we can support lower income fares or free fares where the economics work out, that's great. But the quality is really our job one. It's interesting. There's been the experiment, of course, uh, Michelle Wu, the mayor of Boston, has experimented with this, at least the at least what I'm seeing, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. The preliminary view is that when they're able to provide free service on um, on some of the main routes, it actually increases the quality, increases the efficiency of it, because there's not as much time people getting on and putting in their change and, and getting fares, but it actually allows for better, quicker service, and more people are now doing it, which makes it safer and gets more cars off the road, better for the climate, and so on. Oh, there's many uh, wonderful benefits to having a free fare transit. Um, so it, uh, where I think the uh, trade-offs are, which are always really interesting in public policy in general, is how do you replace that revenue? Now, in, in reality, uh, most regional transit systems, maybe a quarter or less of the revenue comes from fares. So they are already depending on other sources of revenue, state and federal assistance, uh, local contributions, of course, Amherst and other communities pay into the uh, the PVTA um, and, you know, advertising revenue and other sources of revenue as well. But, you know, we need to make sure that the service is at the highest quality and meeting everybody. So when we do look at, you know, free fare systems, yes, the service experience is better. Uh, boarding is faster and you're able to, you know, uh, make better use of, of uh, limited time. So it's a, a potentially better experience as long as the economics work out. All right, we're talking with Josh, Josh Ostroff, who is the interim director of T for Mass, Transportation for Massachusetts. So, and we're talking about what is possible, what we deserve as residents of the Commonwealth, and what becomes possible if there's more funding, such as coming from the Fair Share Amendment, question one on the ballot on November 8th, for transportation. So let's just turn for a second now, Josh, if we could, um, from public transportation to the repair and maintenance of roads and bridges, which is also the exact phrase that's in this constitutional amendment, question one. What do we need to do? What's the problem? Um, and what do, we, what, what do we need to have for in terms of our roads and bridges? So, yeah, that's super important because even if you take public transit, of course, you're dependent on roads and bridges to, uh, for, the, for the buses to get where they need to go. So we have underinvested in infrastructure in Massachusetts, and that's no surprise to people who uh, have the experience of, of driving, walking, cycling on our decrepit roads and bridges. Um, you know, we have over 600 bridges that are in substandard condition that need to be repaired, and we don't really have the means to do that. The way that when we pass a bond bill, a multi-billion dollar bond bill, that's all borrowed money. So we're basically asking our future selves to pay for the needs of our current selves. And that's not really responsible um, government. We have so many unmet needs. I don't want to make this, you know, to sound doom and gloom because, you know, I'm very optimistic about what we can do as a commonwealth. 
but we are not able to maintain and invest in our infrastructure at the level we need to. So if you're a city in town dependent on uh, you know, the legislative appropriation for what's called Chapter 90 to maintain our, our um, you know, local roads, we are falling behind. The pavement quality deteriorates every year. And that's true of almost every community except maybe the wealthiest. Uh, they can tap into their property tax revenues in order to fix them. But uh, for you know most cities and towns in Western Mass, uh, the roads and bridges are getting worse and we need to make them better. So borrowing money alone is not the solution. What fair share will help do is provide that dedicated source of revenue to invest in our roads and bridges and transit and biking and walking infrastructure. Um, you know, and I, I want to just add though that the um, we have some major projects across the state that are on the horizon. We don't have the resources to fund them. When we talk about East-West Rail and the billions that would cost to provide that important service, or, or if we have to pay to replace the Cape Cod bridges, as is a possibility, or there's major roadway projects in Alston, uh, you know, where so much uh, economic opportunity is there, but if we can't even ante up to do that infrastructure, then that's going to hurt not just those projects, but the smaller ones, the you know, the bridges throughout the Berkshires and Hamden, Hampshire, Franklin County. So that, I think you make a really uh, uh, important point, which is when we take out bonds, when we take out loans, essentially issue bonds, which is taking out loans, it may be on our future selves. It's also um, not just ourselves, you you, me, Josh, the, the resident, the uh, listeners can't see that we're a little bit on the older side of things. Um, <laughs> it, is our, it is our children and grandchildren who will be paying that off and therefore limiting other kind of investments. So we do need a dedicated source to make those investments right now. But I wanted to pick up on one one number you just you you jumped over quickly which is i think you said over 600 bridges are in difficult shape could you just go into that a little a little more because we're not that we're not that big as a state but you just said 600 bridges are in disrepair max that's a yeah. great great teaser for the next segment so we can fit in this break that we have to take right now thank you we're going to hear about the 600 bridges that actually pose a danger to us in the commonwealth and how we can pay to repair them we'll be right back Minutemen football lives here. Olsen lops it. Josiah Johnson, end zone, touchdown, Massachusetts. Daylight, end zone, touchdown, Ellis Merriweather from eight yards out. Follow the action all season long on your home for Minutemen football. The UMass Sports Network from Learfield. Touchdown, Massachusetts. At American National, what's important to you is important to us. Just like every horse is unique, so is our equine coverage. American National's equine owner's insurance is designed to address the inherent risks involved with owning horses. Flexible enough to provide property and liability coverage for operations of various sizes, yet can be tailored for your specific needs. We're right by your side. For more information, just visit AmericanNational.com. American National Property and Casualty Company and Affiliates, Springfield, Missouri. It happens all over Massachusetts. Anytime I choose. In every home and every community. Be careful on your bike. Learning can happen anytime, anywhere. Hi guys. We'll see you at practice this weekend. And no matter how learning takes place in your family's life, Desi is there as your partner. The Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Never stop learning. 
Find out more at mass.gov slash back to school. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department for Elementary and Secondary Education. Saluting our community's first responders today and every day. Greenfield Fire Chief Bob Strayon on his crew's tireless service and their professionalism and resiliency shown during COVID. Every day is a constant threat of becoming exposed or getting ill from the virus. We take our precautions when we interact with the public, especially on medical calls. We use our proper protective equipment. Um, I just commend them for the efforts that they've put from day one before the pandemic, starting to recover from the pandemic. The fire department, especially the firefighters, they stand ready for any challenge that comes their way, and uh, they've done a great job, and they will continue to do a great job to keep the community safe. We're grateful for our first responders, and so are our sponsors. Lundgren Honda of Greenfield. Experience it. Everyone at Lundgren Honda knows our first responders give so much to our community, so now they want to give back to them. In appreciation for their service and dedication, local first responders are invited to LundgrenHondaOfGreenfield.com's homepage for details on an exclusive offer. Thank you for keeping our communities safe. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, Valley Talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com, and add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP, your message at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMC. We continue our conversation with Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, and Josh Ostroff, who is the interim director of T4Mass, Transportation for Massachusetts. We are talking about the fair share amendment, question one on the ballot, which we will vote on in 45 days, except that early voting starts even earlier. Max Page, I turn the microphone back over to you. We were talking about 600 bridges that are in need of repair, and if they're not, they're dangerous, and some may be dangerous now. I would appreciate it if you and Josh could get back to that part of our conversation. Max? Yeah, thanks, Bill. Yeah, we left people at the break, uh, probably some of them driving down the road listening to the show wondering, wait, what's, how's that bridge that I'm about to go over going to do? So, Josh, there was a recent report, tell us about that, that talks about the over 600 bridges in Massachusetts that are in some level of disrepair. Sure, thank you so much. And I'm uh, glad to talk about this, but I really want to assure the listeners that, you know, the, um, the engineers, the inspectors at the Mass Department of Transportation that inspect bridges all the time are not going to leave up a bridge that is unsafe, that's at risk of, of crumbling. So understand that we have folks who not only uh, do they take safety very seriously, but they're going to ensure that the roads and bridges that we travel on meet, you know, minimum standards. But you can have a structurally deficient bridge that is, you know, that's obsolete, um, that is going to need significant repairs to extend its life or to, you know, uh, give, you know, 50 or 100 years of life to a new bridge. And Mass Budget and Policy Center did a recent uh, report on this. If uh, listeners go to massbudget.org, they can read, read a report called A Bridge Too Far. Sagging investment leaves 644 bridges um, that are deficient. So that is something that happens because infrastructure wears out more quickly than we are prepared to invest in it. And that's true in many areas of society, you know, school buildings and uh, you know, uh, other you know, structures 
and certainly roads and bridges. So that's just really, a, I think, a symptom of our underinvestment over the years that the fair share investment is giving the people an opportunity uh, to address. And, you know, one of the things I like to say uh, is, a sewing, uh, is saying, if it is to be, it is up to me. What I, I thank the people who signed the petition and the lawmakers who put the fair share amendment on the ballot because they recognize that we have not sufficiently invested in public goods and that we raise money inequitably to do so. Um, and for folks who will vote on this um, on or before November 8th, thank you very much. Great. Thanks, Josh. And for the listeners just joining us, we're talking with Josh Ostroff, who is the interim director of t for mass Transportation for Massachusetts. And we're talking about the fair share amendment. Question one on the ballot on November 8th, taxing multimillionaires. It's not just millionaires. It's multimillionaires and billionaires with the money going to K-12 education, public higher education, as, all, as well as transportation. So one thing, Josh, you are passionate about is how transportation, which can seem like an engineering issue, it can seem like, you know, cars and buses and train lines, that it's really at the heart um, a racial, economic, and climate justice issue. So maybe pick that apart so we understand why it's so central to achieving our goals as a more racially, economically, and climate just Commonwealth. Um, it's so important to think of transportation as an instrument of uh, well-being that when people are denied opportunity to safely and conveniently get to work or to school or to visit with family or to medical appointments, we're limiting their lives. We are placing barriers in front of them and transportation has been a historic gateway to opportunity. So when we have transportation policy that inhibits opportunity we are inflicting harm on the most vulnerable members of society. And we have in the past, transportation policy has actually been uh, uh, used to advance racial and economic injustice. Highways that you know, uh, go through uh, urban neighborhoods that frequently will take a you know, African-American community and divide it into two or three. That is, um, that, those are injustices that we're now uh, able to try to correct. But if we don't have regular reliable service for, you know, uh, transit service for people of limited means who tend to be communities of color, then we are perpetuating an injustice. And it is up to us, not just to fund transportation everywhere, but to help ensure equity and opportunity for all. Thanks, Josh. And, and maybe explain how much difference it would be if we had um, more efficient public transportation in terms of uh, the climate issue. You know, Massachusetts has made some pretty dramatic uh, commitments uh, in terms of our lessening our, our, our carbon um, use in Massachusetts. So how much, how crucial is, is the transportation sector in achieving those goals? It is the most important sector. Um, it, in Massachusetts, in, in the nation and in most of the world, transportation is the leading contributor to carbon pollution. Uh, so the unhealthy air and water that we have to live with is largely because of carbon fuels that are powering our transportation network. So electrification is critical. Advances in battery technology, putting up the infrastructure, developing the clean sources of power to make sure that we have uh, you know, sustainable mobility is so important. Um, and as well as encouraging people to use people power, you know, uh, where it's safe and convenient to do so, to uh, do you know, biking and walking. 
I mean, look at Valley Bike and how that's really helped to transition mobility for so many people by having electric bikes uh, that folks can use for, you know, an hour, half an hour, however long they need uh, is uh, is really important to do. And we want to see more of that. But we need to also think of our automobile fleets and charging stations that will be widespread and make sure that electrification is not something only for the well off, but is available to everybody. So whether you're in Holyoke or Chittenden or Springfield or any community um, in the valley, we want to make sure that you have access to electric vehicles. Maybe they'll be shared. They don't necessarily have to be privately owned. We need to look at the economics of car ownership and what a burden that can be. But uh, electrification is is so necessary. We won't get there immediately, but the state has set ambitious targets. But we're really only going to get there if we make the uh, investments we need to in clean transportation. Great. I'm talking to Josh Ostroff, who is the interim director of T for Mass Transportation for Massachusetts. And um, I believe we have to take a break and then we um, will come back. We have one sort of question coming up a bit about looking past November 8th when we hopefully win fair share and how all this money uh, will be spent. The question will pick up right after this break. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Holyoke residents are responding to the devastation in Puerto Rico caused by Hurricane Fiona by sending care packages to family, friends, and complete strangers stuck on the island. The storm made landfall in Puerto Rico on Sunday dumping more than 20 inches of water on the island and knocking out power everywhere. Former Holyoke City Councilor and Policy Advisor to Senator Ed Markey, Jossie Valentin, says the situation is frustrating. It's not about, oh, the Puerto Rican people are resilient, because they are. It's about <laughs> we shouldn't even be in this situation. Holyoke Mayor Josh Garcia and City Councilor-at-Large Israel Rivera have led an effort to bring back care packages sent in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. A South Hadley man is facing prison time after he was found guilty of indecent assault and battery on a patient. 42-year-old Edward Costick was convicted by a jury after a two-day trial in Northampton District Court. He was charged with three counts of indecent assault and battery on a patient in his care in January of 2019. Costick was a physical therapist at Cooley Dickinson Hospital Rehab Services. Officials say a man suspected of firing multiple gunshots in a West Springfield neighborhood was not targeting any of the three school buildings nearby. School was delayed for two hours Thursday morning out of an abundance of caution as police pursued the man who fired gunshots adjacent to West Springfield High School, Middle School and Fossey Elementary. 34-year-old Michael Lankowski of Morgan Road was arrested after being tased by police. He faces multiple charges. Bright but brisk today, mostly sunny and breezy, a high of 56 to 60 this afternoon. Clear, breezy tonight, overnight lows of 34 to 40. Might be some patchy frost in rural areas. Back into the sunshine tomorrow, a high of 64 to 68. 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rochevega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. 
El presidente Joe Biden dijo el jueves que toda la fuerza del gobierno federal está lista para ayudar a Puerto Rico a recuperarse de la devastación del huracán Fiona, incluso cuando las provincias atlánticas de Bermudas y Canadá se estaban preparando para una gran explosión de la tormenta de categoría 4. Hablando en una sesión informativa con funcionarios de la Agencia Federal para el Manejo de Emergencias en Nueva York, Biden dijo, estamos todos juntos en esto. Biden señaló que cientos de funcionarios de FEMA y otros funcionarios federales ya están en Puerto Rico donde Fiona provocó un apagón en toda la isla. Más del 60% de los clientes de electricidad permanecieron sin energía el jueves y un tercio de los clientes estaban sin agua, y los funcionarios locales admitieron que no podían decir cuándo se restablecería completamente el servicio. Biden dijo que su mensaje a la gente de Puerto Rico que todavía sufre por el huracán María hace cinco años es «Estamos con ustedes, no nos vamos a marchar». Eso pareció contrastar con el expresidente Donald Trump, quien fue ampliamente acusado de una respuesta inadecuada a María que dejó a algunos puertorriqueños sin electricidad durante 11 meses. En otras informaciones, en el 2017, el New North Citizens Council ayudó a 600 familias que llegaron a Springfield, Massachusetts, tras el huracán María. La ciudad se está preparando ahora para asistir a puertorriqueños que han sido afectados por el huracán Fiona. Líderes en Springfield están trabajando con una organización comunitaria para establecer un centro de bienvenida para las familias que han sido afectadas por el huracán Fiona. Rosa Espinosa, directora de programas del New North Citizens Council, se reunieron el martes en el ayuntamiento de Springfield para presentar un plan de acción en caso de que los puertorriqueños empiecen a llegar a la ciudad en las próximas semanas. Espinosa dijo que las familias pueden llamar de antemano o simplemente presentarse. Yo soy Johan Rashid Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Josh Ostroff, who is the interim director of T for Mass Transportation for Massachusetts, and Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. And I have a question for both of you, following up on the discussion we've been having so far today about the fair share amendment, question one on the ballot coming in November. I'd like to know this. The question as posed is whether or not to increase the tax on income, not on wealth, on income in excess of a million dollars a year. So if you make $990,000 a year, if you make $800,000 a year, if you make $700,000 a year, your taxes will increase zero. That's what it says. So I, I, I think that's an easy one for me. What I don't quite understand is this. The question allows this increased income tax on income over a million dollars for transportation and education. And that combination actually makes sense to me because those are two substantial pillars of the infrastructure of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, education and the human capital that we provide and the opportunities that we provide in transportation, which undergirds both environmental policy and economic opportunity. So that makes sense. My question is, there's nothing in the ballot uh, initiative, in the ballot question, uh, that says how the money is actually going to be divided up, the almost $2 million a year, dedicated to education and transportation. I would like to know how you think that is apt to work out 
and I'd appreciate the perspective of both of you, both Max Page, president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, and Josh Ostroff, the interim director of transportation for Massachusetts. So either one of you, let's hear. Josh, why don't you go first? Sure. Um, Bill, that's great framing. I, I, I think that's important to underscore that both transportation and education are, you know, uh, pillars of uh, contemporary society and that we need to make sure that these public goods are well supported. And I say that as someone who needs to travel a lot. And I say that as the parent of an educator and I depend on an educated population to help make important decisions. So my way of looking at it is this. Um, education really depends almost entirely on public funding and transportation has different sources of revenue. So we may need to look at or ask our legislators to look at what is the delta? What is the difference between the system we need and the system that what we can afford now? And make that be the, uh, you know, the benchmark, the, the, the yardstick by which we say how much of the uh, you know, incremental money are we spending on different services? Um, that is going to be a big challenge for the legislature. And I think that's going to demand that the voters and other opinion influencers are really engaged in how these decisions are made. Because, you know, I don't want to leave it to a backroom process. I want a robust public debate. I know that the opponents of question one are targeting the legislature and saying they can't be trusted. But, you know, we have what we have with the legislature. Yes, they may make some decisions that, with which we don't agree, but it's going to be critical that the advocates that are working to pass question one carry that fight through and ensure that we have high visibility, well-informed debate and say, if we want to provide outstanding K-12 and higher education, if we want public transit to be clean and equitable throughout the Commonwealth, here's what those numbers are going to take. Now, question one may not solve all of our problems, and I don't think anyone is promising that it, that, it, that it will, but it's going to give the people of the state an opportunity to really make a big difference in both areas and to assure and hold the legislature accountable so that not just this new revenue is dedicated to transportation education, but we don't reduce any previous investments in these areas because the law is silent on that, and that's an area where we're going to need you know, strong advocacy to make sure that our regional transit and our K-12 schools and, you know, all the other investments are important to make. So kind of dodging the question there and saying it's the legislature's call, but they represent us, the people. And I know that we, the people, will need to you know, carry that fight after November 8th. Well, let me rephrase it just a bit before you weigh in on this, Max Page. When I was in grade school all those many centuries ago, there was a part of this large report card that we got, on, and it had a section that, re, that reported to our parents under the rubric, plays well with others, question mark. Mm -hmm. And you too, you, Max, as the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, and Josh Ostroff, you as the interim director of transportation for Massachusetts, T4M, uh, you do represent the two pieces of the fair share amendment. So I'm wondering how are the two of you and the interests that you represent, and I use interests in, in a favorable way, not in a pejorative way, um, how are you going to get along? How are you going to work this out? How are you going to, in your organizations, going to approach the legislature in terms of divvying up the $2 billion and having it go to those uh, projects and focuses that are so important to you 
and to the aspect of the fair share amendment that you represent. Max? So, Bill, I won't dodge, but I will say we're trying to win this thing first. So that's the next 46 days is to win this. So we're not like spending money we don't yet have. We are um, advocating for what are the possibilities. And let me just say two quick things. First thing, this is a constitutional amendment. The money will be constitutionally mandated in the Massachusetts State Constitution for K-12 schools, public higher education campuses, and roads, bridges, and public transportation. It's not just a simple choice, legislature can ignore it or not, uh, It is or change the law, it is in the Constitution, therefore it cannot be changed. Secondly, I mean, it can't be changed without another constitutional amendment. The second point is that the legislature has now voted four times overwhelmingly to put this on the ballot. If you listeners may remember, it was going to be on the ballot in 2018, the Supreme Judicial Court on a technicality kicked it off, it came back, a different route. But the point is, in our system, the legislature has to vote to put a constitutional amendment onto the ballot. And they've done so four times, the last time with 80% support of the legislature. They want both the funds, they want it progressively, and they want to spend the money on education and transportation. And so when we win, we will have exactly that discussion. What needs to go first? How much in this area or that area? But the beauty is that this is $2 billion roughly, maybe more, um, every single year that we can we can dedicate to education and transportation. And the way we've had this conversation today, I think you see that many of the things that um, Josh Ostroff from t for mass has been saying aligns also with what the Massachusetts Teachers Association says, which is that we're fighting for a more economically, racially, and climate just commonwealth. And we need both high quality roads and bridges and transportation systems. Of course, we need high quality public education and affordable public higher ed. So I think there's a lot of commonality and we'll just have to work together to make sure that the, the monies go where they're most needed by the people who know best about where they should go. Before we go today, I'd like to go back to Josh Ostroff for one quick question. I know it's a complex issue, but does some of this money look to be, do you look for some of this money to be spent on West East or East West Rail? I hope so. Um, it, yeah, we've got a ways to go before that um, you know, dream becomes a reality. So, yes, um, you know, I think the first thing we want to do is um, put in place a plan to leverage a future federal investment in this because the bipartisan infrastructure law is a generational opportunity to advance some really important um, long held projects. So I want to see people be able to take a train from Pittsfield to Boston and not rely on the contract that require a lot of negotiation with csx who owns the freight so it's it's um yeah short answer yes uh to the previous question though we could also we could just say hey let's just spend it all on school buses but but you know we transportation education advocates are working together already so i think that the uh discussions will happen after november 8th if hopefully the the question passes are a continuation of the relationships that people who care about public welfare are um, already you know, engaged in. Yeah, I really appreciate that. A last word from you, Max, on this ongoing series we're going to have? Yes, I'd like to note and thank Josh Ostroff from T for Mass again for being on. And next week we will have Kurt Wise, actually an um, Amherst resident, but is also a um, policy staff person at Mass Budget Policy Center in Boston, who will come on to talk about kind of the 
a number of aspects of how much money will be generated and the like out of the fair share amendment next week on Friday, the 30th of September. We leave it there. Max Page, Josh Ostroff, thank you both so very much. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. So this is Massachusetts way of saying, we think it's an important program. We think it's important enough to continue for students and their families. And we're going to put the money up front to make sure it continues so that if the federal government does not renew it, Massachusetts will still have universal school meals. 1015, 1400 and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Smith Academy in Hatfield is accepting school choice applications through September 30th. With class sizes averaging 10 students, Smith Academy can offer more than 20 clubs, 7 AP courses, 14 sports teams, work studies and internships, free dual enrollment at HCC and Smith College, and computer science for all students. With a graduation rate of over 95%, most college bound, Smith Academy can prepare you for the next step. No cost to apply or attend. Call them or go to HatfieldPS.net and schedule a tour today. This week's Shop Tuesday is Slancha. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Slancha releases gift certificates for their restaurant in Holyoke. High up on Jarvis Avenue with a view of Holyoke and beyond, good food and drink, lunch and dinner daily. Plus, a private upstairs party room with a bar. They say it on the old sod and they say it in Holyoke. Slancha, available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. When somebody dies, even if it's somebody old or somebody sick and the family is expecting it, it's still a shock. For the past 110 years, the Saluzniak family has opened the doors to their home for generations of Hampshire, Hamden, and Franklin County families, offering comfort and guidance when it's needed most. There's a certain assurance from knowing that for 110 years, four generations have offered caring help with honesty, integrity, understanding, and the highest standards. The Saluzniak family wants you to know they understand things may have changed, but their dedication to helping your loved ones in your time of loss has never never wavered and it never will. They are here for you taking every precaution and will help you understand how you can pay tribute during this challenging time. Saluzniak Funeral Home, up at North Street, Northampton. Oh, people have always had a hard time saying Saluzniak. It seems that the CZ always gets everybody. Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton. They're not easy to spell, but they are CZ to spell. The Paul Parent Garden Club, every Sunday, 6 to 8 a.m. Brought to you by Weinzick Nursery, locally owned and operated since 1954. Visit Mike, Amity, John, and the rest of the team at Weinzick Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley, and online at weinzicknursery.com. It's the 14th annual Tom Kazenzi Driving for the Cure Charity Golf Tournament to support Dana-Farber Cancer Institute on September 27th at Twin Hills Country Club. To get involved, visit us online at TomKazenziDrivingForTheCure.com and together we can make a difference. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. The beat goes on. And this is Artbeat with Donna Bell Cassis, who has with her and us today some very special guests the pleasure the honor of the introduction is yours donna bell thank you bill good morning well tomorrow 
Saturday the 24th is the big day. Florence Night Out will take over downtown Florence from 4 to 7 p.m. And one of the many exciting performances happening Saturday is a collaboration between local artist Maggie Nowinski and dancers Michelle Marukin and Zazie Toby. They join us this morning. Welcome. Hi, it's so nice to be here. Nice to be here, Donabelle. Thank you for having us. Sure. You know, this performance is so unique and exciting. Maggie, I've seen your work, which is rooted in drawing and printmaking, and this performance activates what you term sculptural drawings called holes with a W. Please describe what those are. Um, well, the holes are forms I've been working with for a few years now, and I've compiled a number of them, about 150 of them, um, and they're pretty large. They range from, I guess, like about a foot wide to eight feet wide. Wow. Um, and they are basically sort of thick circles um, and with a hole in the middle. They're empty in the middle. Um, and they are normally um, sort of sculptural installation. And I sort of climb them up. They climb up walls and they're kind of site specific, but they're very durable. They're made out of canvas. And I've been really interested in in working um, with some movement artists and dancers to, to get them to really move um, and activate them in that way. And so, um, you know, this collaboration kind of came out of that desire. Well, I was looking at these holes and they, you know, they kind of resemble human cells or they could be rings of smoke, like you were saying, or, um, you know, orifices they they can be anything i love the ambiguity of them because the viewer can sort of project what they see but the the piece is called embody slash hole with a w and i know this work fuses installation installation art um time-based choreography as well as improv responses to material sound and sight now michelle you are a dancer choreographer and producer how did you get connected with this project? Um, I, Maggie and I know each other from, I think the East Hampton art scene. And we were at an opening, I wanna say it was in April. And uh, we sort of looked at each other. I think you said, Maggie, you said, I'm kind of, you know, interested in maybe working with dancers at some point. And I hopped on it because I love this kind of collaboration. Um, and so we started talking about her vision of activating these, um, these art objects. And immediately I just wanted to dive in, like literally dive in, get my body inside them, around them, and just all kinds of things started opening up. Um, and I, you know, we talked about having more than one dancer and I thought, hmm, I know the right person. So I reached out to Zazie, um, and she came to, you know, we came to Maggie's studio and started moving with them right away. Um, yeah. Now, now, uh, now so Zazie, I know you're also an independent dancer and teacher. Yes. What is it like to dance with sculptural objects? I'm so glad you asked that. I was actually thinking, um, as Maggie was describing these canvases, uh, they have a weight to them. Um, so like she said, they're all different sizes. So some of them you can literally fit around your wrist, you know, or wear on your arm. Others are so large, you know, they're, they're 
almost you know difficult to pick up with your two two arms at once and they're dragging so there's a different gravity and weight that affects movement with these holes um and it's become it's definitely dancing with a prop and with something external than the body but it's also kind of morphing to our movement and our forms so the line is blurred between prop costume and dance partner oh gosh and of course the site right um you'll be doing something really interesting now i don't know our viewers can't see this but as zazi was speaking she was moving around you could almost you could almost feel her and see her projecting these like these sculptures on her body when she's talking i know michelle wanted to bring something up well, well i just love the um the fact that um you know they're sort of biological um you know beings <laughs> and then we are biological beings and i it was just such a perfect match for you know dancers who are in their bodies and contemplating biological systems all the time and internal processes with suddenly this external um representation of what could be a biological process these cells so it, it was such a perfect match and i just love like the exploration that we're on when mm. arming with these oh my gosh maggie you know this i mean if if, if listeners aren't intrigued already to go see this <laughs> describe to us what your performance will be because you'll have to see it on saturday but describe to us where it will begin and how people will be able to check it out yeah of course so um we're going to begin the performance will be about a half a, half an hour long in duration and the first 15 minutes will be um, a kind of procession or walk um, and we'll be starting um, from the let's see the sitco end of town in florence the sort of near the chestnut pie bar. street yeah chestnut thank street. you chestnut street yep entrance where it sort of we feel like it sort of begins there um and so we'll be sort of um approaching um the site where the where the main performance will take place which is going to be in the small grassy area in front of the florence savings bank kind of right in the middle of that the main street there mm -hmm. um and, and, and so, what time what time know, does the what time does the procession start 4 30 thank you for asking that from 4 30 to 5 is sort of the the time frame um within which we will be performing um, and we should be at the Florence Savings Bank site at 445. Um, and that's when um, Michelle and Zazi will, will begin their performance and the, the audio will begin at that point too. Well, tell us a little bit about the audio because this is a collaboration with a musician, Tony Silva, correct? Yeah, yeah. so Tony um, graciously um, allowed us to use a, a piano score that he had created um, at a different before this project at some point right michelle yeah yeah and so um uh, we really thought that the piece um had a, a beautiful kind of space to it um for that that sort of um uh, worked really well with the with the movement that was happening um and he allowed me to also kind of deconstruct what he had created um, and I then layered um, a lot of different sounds and created kind of a new score um, using his as well. Well, I'm so excited to see this performance. Maggie Nowinski, 
Zazie Toby and Michelle Marroquin. You will be a stunning performance down on Main Street this Saturday at Florence Night Out. If you want to check out the schedule, go to florencenightout.org. And uh, I appreciate you all joining us today. Um, and I also want to thank Florence Night Out sponsors, the, the City of Northampton, Florence Civic and Business Association, the Goodgen Family, and Seven Sisters Midwifery and Community Birthing Center. How exciting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Congratulations to you, Donabel, on what you. you said what the newspaper said is your last Florence Night Out. <laughs> but yeah. It, but, it is. It uh, is uh, uh, my swan song. Uh, I don't know. I know. <laughs> Donabel Cassis has uh, tendered her resignation, but I think all of us in Northampton, because Florence Night Out is amazing, have well said no, you can't re we've rejected your resignation. But thank you, Donabel, <laughs> for trying. We appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you all. Have a great see Thank you Saturday. You. See you. Thank you so much. See you at Florence Night Out. It's going to be amazing. It is every year. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. certain way around your partner because you're afraid of what they'll think or say? Are you afraid of what they'll do? If you're in a relationship, it's your right to be healthy and safe. If you're experiencing abuse, emotional, verbal, or physical, you have options, and Safe Passage is here to help. It's all free and completely confidential. We are here for you. Call our hotline at 413-586-5066 or visit safepass.org. The Literacy Project is the place to go if you are an adult looking to improve your reading, writing, and math skills, or if you want help preparing for the high school equivalency exam and preparing for college. To find out about our free classes in Franklin and Hampshire counties, check us out online at literacyproject.org or call us in Northampton at 413-584-6755. If you want to learn, Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station.